I've knocked on over 120,000 doors. I've knocked 85,000 doors. That has to make you guys the best business partners. Knocking on doors sucks. It's like it's like the experience when you get into middle school. And I went like, we're starting a solar company. Jake said, well, can you consult me first? I said, great. Do you want to start a solar company? And I said, yes. Said, yeah. Welcome back to this episode four of the show. I got Peter and Jake here with me today. Special guest Jake added to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for letting us use all your stuff. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we bought always, it for you. Yeah. Thank you. We're long-term thinkers. Yeah. So I always open it up with a 60-second elevator pitch about you and what you do. So I guess each of you just give me your elevator pitch. All right. You can start. Okay. So about me and what I do. So is this like a biography briefly yeah. about yeah. who? So yeah. I'll, I'll uh, yeah, 60-second version. Uh, been married almost 11 years, got four kids, nine-year-old, seven-year-old, and twins that are four. I've been in and around direct sales and door knocking as a primary sales strategy for 19 years. I've knocked 85,000 doors. I've recruited over 800 people or managed them as well. Um, been overseen $150 million in sales. And a couple years ago, launched Genesis with Jake and another partner. We've done over 80 million in sales. Um, you know, I view business, at, just in general, I view business as a vehicle to chisel myself inside of. So I am uh, recently saved a couple years ago, uh, found Christ and, and discovered the, you know, what filled the empty part of my life. And I am continuing to look for how, how business and, and life and parenthood and uh, being a husband prepares me to go and, and glorify God's kingdom and um, do what I'm put on the earth to do which I think is to help expose people to their greatness and help give them access to achieving it. Awesome. Jake? Should've went first. <laughs> I'm Jake. How do you follow that? I, I do mean, all of those things. My, I am all of those things, but 17 months younger. So uh, I, let's see, I've been married uh, seven years, seven and a half years. I also have twins. My twins are also four years old. We have twins that are two months apart. So a lot of people don't know that about us. Um, I've knocked on over 120,000 doors, started that in college. We were joking before we started that I followed Peter to elementary school, middle school, high school, college, his first job, his second job, his third job, and then we started a company together. So that's kind of been my path. And you even followed me with twins. And even following with twins. Yeah, like that's I was like, hard oh, to do. That's the hardest twins. one. All right, honey, we got, we got two months to get this thing turned around and we, we, we handled it. Uh, she's a great woman. It's pretty amazing how she did that. Um, and I'm great at motivating people. Anyways, uh, so what I love about business and about sales is to me, it is, it has always occurred as a giant game and there's always a way to win a game and there's a fastest way to do a puzzle and there's the fastest way to get through a maze. And what I've, Peter is more of the relationships, look at the, you know, have really long conversations and that's just been him. I've been more strategic. Like I maybe not be the best salesperson in the world, but I can find the most clients of anybody else. And I may not have the best rebuttal, but I can say 20 things that will make sure you never even say that because I've already covered it like inception on the front end. And so in Genesis, my job is to optimize our systems so that everything works smoothly to where people, they almost begin to take for granted how smooth things are because everything that they're using to sell, I've used at some point. And so I know what frustrated me in the past. And so I wanna make sure it's as easy and smooth for the people we work with. Awesome. I, that has to make you guys the best business partners because you grew up together. Yeah. Complement each other's strengths and weaknesses. We very rarely compliment each other, but yes, to your point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jake is, uh, we, we've recently discovered that he is 
uh, an engineering brain, like an analytical thinking engineering brain, whose brother made him get into door-to-door sales, mm. mm-hmm. and never would have never would have gone that direction on his own. But surprisingly, so he, he would underplay it, or he usually doesn't point to it, and this might count as a compliment. So um, that's your one for the week. Okay, thanks. But <laughs> when he uh, worked for the first company out of college, he was there for nine years. It's the oldest direct sales company in America. So they were 165-year-old company today, about 150 years when he started. He is number nine all time, and they have anywhere from one to 3,000 sales reps every year. So we're talking over 100,000 alumni. This guy is number 11, and he and he isn't the best salesperson you'll ever meet. You'll you'll he's he's not bad by any means, but the systems and processes that he brought to sales and to his strategy made him legendary in that space and in my heart. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah. Number 11. Thanks. Yeah. That's crazy. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's a good honor. It was a lot of work. Yeah. It was a lot of Definitely. work. So, I mean, my first question was door-to-door sales. How did you guys get your start in that arena? You kind of hinted on it already, but kind of what was that company? How was your first like door-to-door experience? I, so I'll say a little, I'll have you say a lot about this, but I, my cousin introduced me and then I ultimately introduced Jake the next year, but I was pre-med and, and then I took OCHEM and pre-med was out the window right after I started OCHEM. <laughs> and, and then I just wanted to do something different. I, I enjoyed acting. Jake was actually a theater major. I wasn't, but I, I loved evoking emotion and connecting with people and adding value. I didn't realize sales was a place to do that. And when I started knocking on doors, I discovered very quickly what I loved best about acting, what I loved best about performance existed in a more authentic form in sales. And I, I came back year after year after year because I grew so much every summer in my communication and sales skills and my mindset, success principles. I was exploding in those areas and my, the people around me, my friends, they, they didn't have the same growth. Yeah. Yeah. He sent me a picture. I remember I was a senior. Uh, I just graduated from my senior year. He was selling his first summer and he sent me a picture of a broken basketball hoop. And I was like, what the heck is this thing? Cause he could never believe what happened today. I was shadowing this guy and there was nobody home at this house and he picked up the basketball and he went to dunk it and he like broke this person's hoop. So we had to leave him, we had to leave him money and like a note and a phone number and this, this job is crazy. I'm like, I'm in, that sounds awesome. And so the next summer I went out and knocked and man, as authentically as I can say this, knocking on doors sucks. Like there's a lot about it that is not fun. And if you know anything, if you ever listen to David Goggins, um, he's just, I mean, everything he does sucks and he does it anyways. So I, I never want people to be, oh, wow, you've knocked on that many doors. You sold, you must love it. Yeah, not all, most of the time I don't, you know, and I remember my first, my first week, it was the, it was the first thing that really challenged me, um, ever in my life. Like all of a sudden, all these people didn't care who I was. They didn't care the hometown I went to. They didn't care that I had graduated at the top of my class. They didn't care that I had won state champ. Like none of that mattered. I was just annoying guy making noise on their front porch. And so learning how to break through that barrier became just like the ultimate prize for me in the, in the sense that it was a game I wanted to win. And it made me miserable when I wasn't winning it. But once I figured out, Hey, I can connect with anybody about anything. And all I got to do is just put a little enhancement to my ADD and focus that energy into having conversations with strangers. And then, and then I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the people and you meet the nicest, tell you this, knock on 3000 doors and the world is not as bad as we think it is. It's also not as good as we think it is, (laughs) but it's like, 
everybody's most people are just normal and yeah. average and they're usually just doing what they think is right i would say 98 percent of the time people are just trying to be cool and trying to do what they think is best and once you can forgive that you know you like forgive the idea that oh they just they're out to hate you and and crap all you may you. you mainly find out that you are meeting good people at a good time more often than not you're meeting good people at a bad time correct and every now and then but it is very small you're meeting bad people and it doesn't matter when you meet them yeah <laughs> yeah so that's mean people that's how we got into knocking on doors yeah, yeah. and for as, as much as uh, I'll, I'll finish with this for as much as the knocking on doors you know it sucks I, I would say more specifically my ego hates it right the part of me that wants to look good feel cool and be secure doesn't like standing in somebody else's judgment and rejection. He's so good with words. But it's not, it's not so Jake says it sucks. sucks. I'm yeah, like, I don't say, he's just I don't say I that. He's translating it. He's like, well, Jake, what you really mean. Oh, but yeah, you're right. Although I, but, I, but I'd say I love it. Because, because I love knocking on doors because I love what it does for me. I love what it provides for me. I love what it has provided in my life. And I love who it has allowed me to become. Yeah. My ego hates it. But my, Absolutely. But my future self loves it. Absolutely. So I was just thinking like, we, we actually talked about this earlier today. He goes to the gym with a picture of what he wants to look like in mind. I go to the gym and I just want to lift a bigger weight this week than I did the week before. We both end up with the same product and having the same actions, but we look at it from very different lenses. Very different internal yeah, motivation. Exactly. Yeah, kind of like on what you said, like my, as when you were talking about like kind of ego and all that stuff. I was like that first like punch in the mouth when you get like out into the real world. Yeah. Just like knocks you like crazy. I played I played college basketball my freshman year. Mm. Nobody cared how many points I had in high school. Mm -hmm. Didn't matter. Punched in the mouth every single day. S same idea. Door door sales intense. It's like it's like the experience when you get into middle school or high school and the, just the wow, this is bigger. And there's a whole bunch of people that don't know or care that I was the big fish in the smaller pond. Exactly. That's life. Exactly. So uh, each of you, I think, tell me one thing that makes someone a really good door-to-door -door salesman. Just one key attribute. Mm. There are so many. One. one. I'll say this. Genuine curiosity. Genuine curiosity. It's because 90 however much percentage of this job is failure, right? We talk about, um, I talked about this with some of the GCU interns that <laughs> like in baseball, there are players who are known for being really good hitters and they hit over, they hit 300, they have a 300 batting average. They yeah. hit 30% of the baseballs, that's great. Well, if you look at that, not through the lens of hits per at bat, if you do hits per swing, their stats just got a lot worse. And if you do hits per pitch, now they're at like 5%. Instead of batting 300, they're batting 0 0.05. Do you follow me on that? Yeah. Knocking on doors, it's 0 .05. Like if you rely on the excitement of selling to keep you going, that doesn't work. What makes you really good at it is a genuine curiosity about people, about what's going on in their house. What's, we're interrupting people's lives. Like I have no idea. I could be interrupting them after their kid just learned how to, like they said their first word, hi. And they're like, we just, the kid just said their first word. And so having an excitement about what's going on in other people's lives makes you really good at the job because then you look forward to the people, not the product. Do you follow me? Yeah, so absolutely. That's what I'd say. My answer is grit. And the grit, I don't know if I'm gonna nail the definition, but it is the prolonged motivation through extremely challenging environments toward a meaningful goal. Something like that is the definition of grit. I'd say that's a great definition, yeah. 
So it, how did go ahead? Do no, say, and if you don't, if you don't have that, so either it, so you, grit impl- applies a little bit of optimism. So you believe that you're going to get through it and that it's going to be worth it. It also implies perseverance and it implies having a clear picture of the future. So I think it, in many ways it's a cheat word because we get like four or five other right. items built into right. it, but it is yeah. the, it is the thing. Yeah, I agree. Both of those things I think are really key. Emotion ties into selling and stuff, the curiosity of yeah. um, somebody's individual life. So Genesis, how did it how did it kind of come to be? You guys worked together door to door for a long time, but how did you guys kind of decide to step out on your own? This is a great story. Ready? I'll give the abbreviated version. Okay, you give the abbreviated version. Okay, here's the abbreviated version. So we were uh, working with a different company selling home security and home automation, and we were in Texas, and it, we had been growing and growing and growing and growing, and every year we had more and more students. We actually worked with a bunch from GCU, and that last year, the year before had been our best year ever, and so we were recruiting. Two years. Two, two years. years yeah. Back to back? It was two years. Yeah, so we had two years of shrinkage. Oh, two years. Yeah. Okay, so we were kind of compressing a little bit, or as Peter would say, like we were having a larger opportunity for growth. And uh, at any rate, then COVID happened. And crazy enough, it was hard to convince college students to move halfway across the country to knock on doors in the summer where there was riots going on in eight major cities and COVID and nobody knew what was going on. So we we went to Texas. We lost a, a huge scat of our team early on just because of people worried. Just anyways, it was a lot of shenanigans. There we are middle of June. And we're looking at each other. We're both like, what, 33, 35? So be, because we had had two years of shrinkage, we had put ourselves back into the field. Like we jumped back in and lived in an Airbnb with college students to like, let's, we're with, we're here with you. And crazy enough, we actually had some pretty good sales that yeah, year and our numbers good. were up. And But we were sitting there one night. We were both there. My wife was pregnant, had two-year-old twins. His wife, two-year-old twins, plus at that time, a four-year-old two, and a seven-year-old. Yeah. And we're like, what the, what are we doing? Like... We're adults. This isn't, this isn't going to work in three years <laughs> like, or two years. Best case scenario, we have to do this for two more years until we're back to where we were because of just everything that happened. And I sat there with no answer and, and he went home like he usually does and talked to a business coach. And his coach said, well, if you could just wipe the slate clean, like you could wake up tomorrow and investigate any industry, what would you look at? He actually, so to clarify, uh, he said, it was an exercise called the nothing exercise. And it was if the business you had now disappeared, if it was gone, your team, your, if everything was gone tonight, what would you do specifically at 7 a.m. the next day? And his first thought was male modeling. And then he decided no. And he looked into solar. Is, right. that, is that correct? Male modeling. If I, if I remember yeah. most of it. Yeah. Okay. So you may have, yeah. I added in the model. There okay. may be a little embellishment there but so he said solar and then he went and looked into it and he called all the people he knew in solar and his only hope was that it wasn't as good as he thought it was going to be because that means we had been doing the wrong thing for a few years and it was exactly as good as he thought it would be well, i would say i was hoping that it was what is it I, I was hoping to find out that it was better than i thought it wasn't yeah something right. like sure. that if anybody can sure. tell me whatever Re- <laughs> rewind and try to figure out what watch that said. five times and oh then gosh. you'll understand that's how you get your said. degree in uh in uh what a deduction your deduction yes. figure out what he just said a ling- linguistics degree to there you understand go. that um okay so then he then he looked at the solar he kind of made that decision and i had to come home because my wife had pulled her back it was a little bit of drama there and i called him and he was like hey yeah come home we're starting a solar company like wait we're doing what he's like we're starting a solar company so we came home we talked about it and then we just we kind of dove in and started from the bottom up learning about it um i got out immediately and started knocking on doors to figure out it kind of went like we're starting a solar company jake said well can you consult me first i said great do you want to start a solar company and i said yes yes. and then it was really quick very quick quick but at least he asked and so (laughs) 
we uh, from there we figured out, hey, are we good at this? Can we actually do it? And we started closing solar and selling solar. We we found that when we both got on doors and knocked right away, and we found that the industry is riddled with uh, gray area, and we've never been interested in living in the gray. We're very black and white people. Like there's a right way and there's a wrong way, and so our focus was let's start a company where people actually who can people who can get who who are who solar is a good fit for let's give them solar and if it's a bad fit let's tell them it's a bad fit and not try to sell them solar yeah and let's build a company where we get to take the best of what we've experienced over the last 17 18 years collective 35 years of best practices and put them into a business where we get to architect be the architects of the culture because swimming upstream in somebody else's culture is a if you're not completely aligned with it 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 it, it zaps your energy it's spiritual too absolutely i like what you said about um making sure that solar is right for somebody yeah something you know they teach you when you're getting a marketing degree is making sure you're probing asking questions making sure it's actually right for them i think somewhere says somewhere the definition of marketing is to give somebody a product that they actually want yeah you find you find use. a need and then you fill it exactly and if they don't have a need then there's, there's nothing you can do exactly so you said that you were hoping solar could not be good to not be so good to be true. Mm -hmm. Why, why was solar the kind of industry that you landed on? The primary reason that it was on our radar, my radar is because solar is largely sold door to door or at least prospected door to door. And, and like any home services product, there's online stuff and, and we're playing that game a little bit now too and learning quickly. But it was very clear that you could take the skill set that we developed and translate it directly. No, no need to interpret. Just translate it, change the script, knock on the same doors, say something different, sell a different product. That honestly, we felt like had more value universally than what mm -hmm. we were selling before. So it was just a very easy transition for us and anybody that we worked with. And we, I think we both felt like we had unfinished business in, in door to door and the desire to build a company that embodied our culture rather than just a, a division or a region of salespeople. So I, I think that because we wanted to do that and because solar allowed for it and we knew it was an emerging market. And I mean, it is in the last two years, there's probably three times more, four times more companies in solar right now and salespeople. And I mean, it, it is, it is, there's a lot of people coming in. I've got friends in real estate, in mortgages, in tech sales i mean there, there's just a lot of people entering solar because there is a predictable timeline on the boom and 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 the money's really good so th those two things draw in a lot of people a lot of the wrong people but creates opportunity to do business the right way too yeah what i liked about it is in the same way that he started as an ochem major or a doctor major and switch i was a math major so i love i just love numbers i love looking at how they all work and when i shadowed our friend Alex, and I saw him sit down with a customer and he, he looked at numbers. He said, here's what you're spending on electricity and here's how much electricity you're using. Here's how much the solar panels will produce and here's how much it will cost you. This one is cheaper. It's a no-brainer. I was like, you don't have to, it's, you just, you write it on a whiteboard. It's a math equation. And as long as you've answered all their questions and covered all their objections, who wouldn't do it? Yeah. It's and we have, we have found 80, 70 to 80% of people who have all their questions answered, do it. Who qualify. Who qualify. Sorry, who solar. Qualify. Do it. We'll do it. It's, it's just about, wild. It's about trust and education. And it's, it's, in, it's unique to find an industry where it's so under misunderstood and there's so much misinformation and assumptions that people have. 
that it's really just a if they tr if you can get somebody to trust you and sit down and look at solar with an open mind they will buy it how long would you guys say like an average like if you send a gcu student out to go knock on doors how long is each interaction like when somebody knocks on a door and you're explaining all this to them answering all their questions how long do you think that takes w which type of interaction <laughs> like that that initial... so there's a quick no it goes a little like this hello hi are you the homeowner yeah are quick... you selling something? Yeah. I'm not interested. Okay. That, so there's that one. <laughs> yeah. So right. hopefully that answers that exactly. question. Um, it's about 4.8 seconds. Yep. yep. We've actually done, we've kind of pulled this out. Like if someone's a quick no, it's a minute to two minutes. If they're someone who's a qualified decision maker, they might spend one to two minutes talking to them. A meaningful conversation is where they actually start to engage. They engage. They're asking questions. The customer's responding to them. They've established rapport. That could be anywhere from five minutes to 15 minutes. And they're not, but they're not selling solar. Right, so the people who knock on the doors are not selling solar; they're selling an appointment. There's, oh, no, there's gotcha. no cash okay, value yeah, yeah, yeah. to it, but it's right. Actually, when you try to sell on the doorstep, what happens is you answer all the questions for the customer, and they have no reason to have an appointment. Now we know that's not like that would be like looking at someone's Facebook profile, and well, he doesn't use Facebook, but whatever Instagram profile, what would you be on? You're looking at someone's profile, and you decide whether or not you want to marry them. Like, it's not really enough information. You need to meet them, so. So what we try to do is give them a snapshot of like, hey, here's what it could be. Do you want to know more? And they're like, yeah, we'd like to know more. Cool. We'll have someone else come to your house and answer all your questions. So maximum you know, 20 to 25 minutes if they're booking an appointment and maybe have a few extra questions or connection opportunities. Yeah. What Have you guys like looked into other ways of kind of bringing on clients besides door? I mean, obviously your company's built on door to door. What's kind of like, like hypothetically, you know, you're paying a, a student to go out and do this. They're working on commission, I'm yep. assuming. Um, is there more ROI in running any sort of advertisement or have you guys found that just door-to-door -door is just way more lucrative and makes better money for you and for the people that are working for you? We are experimenting with online stuff. There is a way to do it right. Phoenix is a, a, a uniquely competitive market with online. We've spent tens of thousands of dollars uh, without you know, single digit ROI, like not a, like if 100% is earning your money back, we're in single digits, right? So we've spent a lot of money on digital marketing and not seen it come to fruition. We're in the middle of testing four different campaigns and partnerships. We're building an in-house team right now. So that's gonna be something that we that emerges. One of the uh, strategies that we are gonna build is an omni-channel approach. So the idea is when you are knocking on the door, this is a brand and a company that they have also seen online on their phone. They may have received a phone call about it or a text campaign. When you can become more omnipresent, it normalizes the brand and you need like 17 to 18 brand exposures today to actually take action. So on the doorstep is one and sometimes that's enough if it's a compelling conversation. We also rework these neighborhoods again and again and again. So if the friendly Genesis solar guy or gal can show up enough times and always have a good interaction, knowing most people are good and you're catching them at a bad time. If you treat them that way, eventually you're gonna catch a good person at a good time and you won't have alienated from the brand, and maybe they've seen it online. And so all of this is gonna feed itself, but you know, we believe we've gotta have multiple channels for lead generation. Um, you never know, you never know when uh, online leads are gonna become non-viable because of competition. You never know when COVID part two happens and craziness ensues, and maybe there's restrictions on door knocking, you don't know. So we wanna make sure we're building multiple channels so we always have great opportunities for the people that we're working with. Yeah. Yeah, we were actually, me and Christian on the way over here, we were talking, he was talking to one of the entrepreneurship professors at GCU. Um, what was it, Christian? Like the, some sort of barrier to entry for email marketing. It was like some platform where you're, um, like in the future. Like, like 
Yeah, where you'll have to pay like 10 cents. Like if you want to send somebody a marketing email, you have to get send them 10 cents along with it. Hmm. And if the person like likes your email, they can give you your money back. But that just eliminates any sort of like spamming yeah. of messaging and stuff yeah. like that. Wow. Who knows if something we're, like we're that. moving in a direction where there's just so much data being collected that figuring out how to niche down on your messaging and you know even on the doors we have a lot of data that we collect and that's available to collect and so you know, there's a future where you can get a lot more targeted with the type of conversation you're having depending on what people are into right and if you're buying big data and aggregating big data you could figure out who are the uh who are the people that are extraordinarily environmentally aware and and you could have their house flagged in bright green and so when you knock on the door you're having a conversation more related to the environment you, you there's I think that is going to become a strategy that is more important moving forward. There's a lot of tech enablement, sales enablement software and tools now. You mentioned COVID. We could always just get into politics and require it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best way think, to do it. I don't think Top anybody down. would yeah. even suspect if I went into politics five years from now, required everyone to get solar yeah. from us. I think that would, that's a good plan. I don't think there's any laws against that. Or if you were to, or just become really good friends with the, you know, have somebody on the inside and then get the contract and overcharge by 50%, yeah, maybe well, lose a couple yeah. billion dollars yeah, into your bank account too. Accidentally lose a couple billion. Yeah. What, what's a couple billion between friends? Yeah. Especially in the government. Like, yeah. We're like what? 35 trillion in debt. Yeah. Man, that's just a, that's a rounding error. It's pennies. That's what they say. It's yeah. A rounding pennies at that whatever. point. Everybody does it anyway. So might as well just do it. It is. Yeah. To live in debt. It is. Yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. No, that's that's really cool. The um, yeah, touches is is huge. Like if you can have somebody interact with your brand, just even you know seeing an Instagram ad or something, and be mm -hmm. like, oh, Nicholas, shout out Nicholas Fisher. We, we are that, very that excited. We're very excited to to find unique ways to add value and yeah. to be a brand that stands out and and to be a brand that educates people and is available and trustworthy when they're ready to take action. Yeah, like just seeing some funny guy from GCU on your Instagram, and then seeing some guy at the door with the same logo you're like oh i automatically trust right. this person you know um building trust is obviously a huge part of sales right mm -hmm. you're just some random dude so if you already have that you know brand awareness you're already your trust level is a lot higher the gcu.genesis page is um it, that brand is it's worth noting right we, that is you know we want to create value we want to add value it, it may be humor it may be education it may be opportunity but we want to add a lot more value than we ever expect to extract. And we want to make sure if we extract anything that it's a win-win scenario, but it is, it's value add marketing. And there's a, a way to do that with consumers as well. And that, I mean, that's one of our next big initiatives as we continue to build leaders that can take the reins like Gabe Rogers, who, who oversees everything at GCU really. Don't worry, the ceiling's not gonna fall. Uh, you know, our leaders are becoming more capable to to grab the reins and manage and, and build their teams independently now that we are edging out of the startup phase. Yeah. And so that allows us to start creating these other initiatives and, and beginning to learn fast in the marketing world. Yeah. I think what the GCU Genesis page has almost like three thousand followers. Yeah. Just from funny videos of Being goofy. Doing yeah, funny stuff, yeah. walking around with the camera and giving people flowers yeah the funniest stuff. part of that whole thing was that we we got nick to get a perm <laughs> that uh, is the best he yeah, still thinks it's cool yeah. but whatever that's i call we, him curly that's how we curly yeah, i call him curly <laughs> sorry nick if you're watching sorry i'll i'll send this to him um all right you guys have talked about kind of company culture a lot kind of what is your overall take on your guys's company culture our culture is growth focused so you know in in inside the company 
And outside our mission is to empower people. So outside that means educating people and giving them, making it fun and easy to go solar, having it make sense, making it simple. Internally, it's about giving our people the ability to develop the skill sets and the mindsets and the assets that they need to go pursue their dreams. So skill sets, sales, marketing, time management, money management, people management, I mean, the list goes on and on, but skills are, are hard skills and mainly soft skills that you need to be effective and influential. Mindsets, success, principles, entrepreneurship, um, leadership, extreme ownership, you know, the way that you think. And, and people have to mold that actively if they're gonna be successful in this business and grow in leadership. And then the assets, that's the resume, that's the network, that's the money and, and anything else that gives them the foundation they need to go and, and reach for that next level. So our culture embraces that. We love encouraging discomfort, seek discomfort, that brand. I mean, I, I loved it. I probably could have thought of that ourselves 10, 20 years ago yeah. and beat them to the punch. That's been a thing that we've you know, made near and dear to our culture for a long time. Yeah, I'm, I'm huge on it. I got this for Christmas. It's, I was like, uh, I've watched Yes Theory and stuff like that for mm -hmm. a long time very big kind of this year's kind of what I've wanted to do seek discomfort start a podcast all kinds of things like that yeah Peter is currently um, helping me to seek discomfort it's very uncomfortable for me to watch him get in his pool every day yeah so he's been doing a cold plunge every day for 21 days so that's I'm it's I'm uncomfortable, uncomfortable for Jake refusing to join watch. me it's like yeah. he keeps asking me and I have to say no and that's uncomfortable so that's how I stay in that realm um, when I sold books, that was actually the, my first job in, in for nine summers. That was the first thing we did every morning was take a cold shower, like ice cold ice at 5.59 in the morning. And we'd say, it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day. And I'm like shivering because sometimes it was Michigan and sometimes I was in Georgia. But that was it was a cold shower every day because when you seek discomfort, first thing when you wake up in the morning, everything else is far more comfortable and manageable the rest of the day. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember who said it, but uh, somebody said do the hardest hardest thing you'll do all day right away first right when you wake up yeah um gary v uh also back to your providing more value marketing gary v is huge on that i love yeah. gary v huge on just putting as much value and entertainment out there and expecting much less roi on that uh mm -hmm. speaks a lot of volumes that shows that you don't really just only care about your roi mm -hmm. so um you said extreme ownership. You talked about some other educational things that yeah. other books that I've read. I know you guys do a lot of education for all the interns. What are some kind of basics things that you guys require all your salespeople to do? Well, we've got uh, our leadership library. It's 30 books that have helped to frame who we are and teach us the skill sets, the mindsets and that like all of that stuff has come from le leaders are readers. Mm hmm right? And you are the people you spend time with and the content you consume. And so we're very big on here are some books and read them. And if you implement them, they can change your life. So one of those is The Greatest Salesman in the World by Og Mandino. It's a little book like that big and it is phenomenal. Um, there are how many scrolls? I don't remember how many scrolls now, mm, but you read seven. one, seven, you read a scroll per day and it's like, I will persist until I succeed. And it's a, almost like a poem about how persisting through the hardest times help you to overcome. And uh, I will greet this day with love in my heart. So it helps you create mindsets that are valuable for success. And then there's books like Extreme Ownership. Um, we have people read- 10 Scrolls, my bad, 10 Scrolls. The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Holiday, excuse me. Uh, we have them read Take the Stairs by Rory Vaden. And then as you go, go further in leadership, we give you different books to read. 
like the five dysfunctions of a team to learn how to interact with the people in your organization. So we have a, a big long list of books that we recommend people read. And then um, we actually have them give feedback and like write us a paper and turn yeah. it in and tell us what they got from it. And um, otherwise I think a lot of people just listen to it in the background and if they're not expected to talk about it and give feedback, sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other. I read some stats today that 43% of college graduates never open a book again. Wow, <laughs> that's insane. And, and then again, 100% of the ones that didn't open a book in college still don't ever open Probably a book. don't. So that's the again stat. The, uh, and then the other piece is those uh, people in business, leaders in business, but I think it's just people in business that read seven or more books per year earn 225% more income on average than those that don't. And that is a, I mean, that's something that, that we have both attacked um, in a very sincere and serious way for a long time is ongoing growth and development. I was calculating the amount of money that I've spent on personal coaching and courses in the last 19 years, and it's over $300,000. And what I realized is that if you're in, especially if you're in business, if you're in sales, if you're in anything that is performance-based, where the pay or the promotion over time is dependent on your ability to develop yourself and get better, if college is the thing that you spent the most amount of money on, you've, in terms of education, you've totally missed the boat. You, your goal should be to find a reason and a way to spend, especially at GCU, it's not that expensive, right? You got you go go 10x that college investment in the next 10 years, and you will get so much more out of the dollars that you spend post-college than the dollars that you spend in college. Tony Robbins, I think it's Tony Robbins says, success leaves clues. Mm -hmm. And when you look at, like anybody that you look up to started where you were. And I think we we hear that and we're like, oh yeah, I get it. They, no, but they, they were you. Like they were you uncomfortable in a dorm room for the first time. They were you going to class and not wearing, they were you getting your textbook and going, man, this thing is really expensive. Maybe they had a ton of money, but they're still like, man, this is the first time without mom. Like they were an insecure 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 year old who read books or took classes or did hard things and built muscles, um, you know, physically, mentally, and emotionally that helped them to get better and better and better and better and better. Are there cases of like savants? Yes, there are people who are just like, oh wow, they're really great. But Gary Vee's the first one to tell you, he's like, he was not that. He was just an ambitious guy who was willing to mess up a lot. And I think that's one of the, the things that I've liked about Door to Door is it gives you a playing field to mess up on a lot. Absolutely. Like you mess up, there are days where my emotions win. There were days where my emotions won. There are days where my, uh, my intellect failed me. There are days that my patience didn't work right and and then i get another shot the next day and i get the, another shot the next door I, I think another misconception is there's a lot of people would assume that sure you maybe lose the day sure you maybe lose the week but you won the year i, I would say there's years in my life where my emotions won there's there's big chunks of time in my in the last seven 19 years professionally where i have where i have been in a darker place than brighter and it's not, it's not quitting, it's getting back up, it's continuing the journey, it's, it's looking back in the mirror saying, all right, that's not a version of me I'm going to allow to exist any longer, level up and create more. And that's, you know, not, not that you're indentured to stay with whatever you're doing forever because, but you really wanna be cautious. You know, there's a lot of people that I've seen in many different industries, many different businesses that leave on a low note, that, that fail to live up to their potential in a very big way 
somehow blame it on the circumstance or the business or the opportunity. Don't fully own that it's them that failed to live up to, to what they could have been. And then they move on to the next thing and they're walking into it with very, very bad habits, very bad mindsets mm -hmm. and, and complacency and victimization that will ravage their ability to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. You talked a lot about kind of failures and pitfalls. Do you guys have any struggles, hurdles you guys had to jump over when you were starting Genesis? Starting Genesis? Well, uh, we both stopped making a significant amount of money with the company that we left. Immediately. <laughs> we, went, we went from income to no income. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest challenges early on was our aspirations to build something is not as common in solar as you'd think. The, the margin is good enough that a small company of 10 to 15 people, every one of them can make good money and you never have to get any bigger than that. To get to you know, where we were a year into it, a year and a half into it, we were already the largest, second largest Titan dealer in the, in the entire state. And we're like, we don't even really know what we're doing yet. And it's, it's because so many companies stay small. They don't have to get big. But because we wanted to get big, that meant he needed to be doing things to make the company bigger which means I needed to be doing things to make the company money so that he could keep doing things to make the company bigger. Do you follow? Yeah. And so the biggest struggle early on was like managing the, we have to make money, but we also have to build systems. But when you're building systems and recruiting and, and built, you're not making money. There's one thing that makes money in solar, selling it and you installing know, installs. it. Installs. Yeah, installs. It. It's the only thing that makes money. So we had to have that. Otherwise, none of this other stuff matters. And so the balance between those things has, has, I think, probably been the biggest hurdle in the beginning. Yeah. To go back to a culture question you asked earlier, just, sure. how, you know, what's the culture in the company? I, I don't want to skip over this. I talked a little bit about swimming upstream with the previous company in terms of culture. And, and I would point back to like core values being something that we made a focal point of our business. Sustainability to, to win the game environmentally, but to win the game of business too over long periods of time. We wanted our people to feel like we were a company with strong, because you can't be sustainable without integrity, without being service focused. There's a lot of things that go into winning the game long-term. Contribution, adding value, not, not just surviving and making money, but adding more value than we extract from any relationship that we have, internal or external. And then the extreme ownership, right? Really believing that we needed to be a company that owned our results, especially when we missed. And the thing that was important is recognizing not everybody fits that culture. There's plenty of people that are great people that don't align with those core values being more important than some others. And when I was at the other company, I was a joke, they forgot their one core value. You know, they've got three core values on the wall, but the one they're forgetting is profitability. And that actually was number one, right? Mm -hmm. It was profitability first and then accountability, integrity, and service, which are kind of these like vanilla, core values Fillers. that are they're like aspirational values is how i've heard them put i um, can't remember what book that's in but we've discovered there's a ton of power in identifying the type of person and the value system that we are willing to embrace and attract as a company and not negotiating from that place yeah and, and we didn't do it perfect right away mm -mm. but we we did learn quick and for a long while now we've just loved the relationships in the well, business it's, it's so business is so much like it's a relationship it's like dating right and if you're if you're changing who you are to attract a certain type of person but you're compromising on your values ultimately there's no long term there's no long term play there you're going to be miserable it's not going to work out like and then you're going to oh what happened it's like well you pretended to be something you weren't 
And we've always had underlying core value. It wasn't even hard for us to figure them out because it's like, this is how we grew up. This is what we believe in. Like, take ownership over and what they're you not do. they're not better and worse than others but they are who we are they are who we are and so we we stuck to them and we want people attracted to the job who are attracted to that and if they're not attracted to that we're totally okay with them interviewing and working elsewhere yeah yeah i think people see a lot of value in that you know sticking to your values sticking to your guns doing what you feel like you should be doing mm -hmm. um you said extreme ownership again i love yeah. that phrase you know that's the one of the things I love about entrepreneurship, you can't, uh, you can't blame anybody else for your failure. So oh, you can, yeah. <laughs> you just are. Like, you you can try. You, you can, yeah, you can, you can try. Yes, but in reality, if you're you know starting a solar company, if you don't make any money, that's on you. There's nobody else to blame. Yes, it's, yep. it's on you. Um, that's one of the things that I find. The pri Tony Robbins says the number one constraint in your business is the psychology and skill set of the leader, period. That's it. I agree. So if, you, if you accept that, if you believe it, then and the buck stops with you, then again, there, there's a ton of power in believing that. Even yeah. if it's not true, there's a ton of power in believing it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So uh, with sales, you like you said, ego comes into play. You get knocked down a lot. How do you keep people motivated to keep knocking down doors and keep, I don't know, feeling like they're able to sell and do mm -hmm. well? Knocking on doors is a metaphor for life, right? Like you're, you're gonna, any, any goal that you have to accomplish, there are gonna be roadblocks in the way. It's not about focusing on the roadblocks, it's why is it worth it to get through it? And if you know why it's worth it, you'll find a way. So that's, that's probably the, finding a lever of why is it worth it for me to go knock on doors today? Cause it really, like, it's kind of a silly thing. Like, it's not really, I don't think I've ever like, looked at my muscles and be like, yeah, I really knocked on doors hard today. I did some good work. No, it's, there's, why am I here? Well, I'm here to provide for my family. There's other ways I could provide for my family. Well, I'm here because I, I really believe people should get sold. Yeah, they could get it from somebody else. So why am I doing it? Well, I'm doing it because I know who I want to be in 10 years and what I want, what I want to accomplish. And that version of Jake, Jake 2.0, doesn't exist now. And so I know what's between Jake 1.0 and Jake 1.2.0, and I'm gonna go get it right now at this door. And maybe it's confidence. Maybe it's the ability to, to overcome an objection. Maybe it's the ability to talk a little bit slower. But I know that I need it to get to here. And th if this is important enough, you'll do anything. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you know who Alex Hermosi is? Absolutely. So Alex has, I mean, he's a person that some, sometimes my ego has a problem looking up to somebody who's younger than me and i think he's younger than me by a decade or so is he really because I, I think he's 27 or 28 I, I believe really i believe maybe he's 33 I'll anyways he's a little bit younger yeah, yeah you tell me we got the power of the internet right here but i know that he's younger than 38 i do not have a problem looking up to and learning from alex he's he's got a brilliant mind he's done yeah. some amazing things one of the things that he says uh is that screaming affirmations in the mirror is not the path to self-confidence or self-image he says, you've got to have a stack of evidence that you are who you say you are and to outwork your self-doubt. That's door to door. Mm -hmm. He posted that on LinkedIn today, by the today way. Today he did? He did, yeah, he posted that picture that I tweet love it. today. I was literally scrolling on the way here. He is 30. Yeah. He's 30, there we go. Yeah. I thought he was a lot older younger. than that. I did too, he's very wise. It's the beard. Very wise, it's got a beard. beard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tree trunk legs. Yeah, he's huge. Yeah. He's huge. The Body and mind, you were talking about that earlier. He's a guy, physically and he, he is very much adding value, value-based marketing, right? Giving away a ton for free. 
and being very clear, like acquisitions.com, if we want a piece of your company and we're both a good fit for each other, we're both going to win in this relationship. But he adds value on the front end without taking anything or even asking for anything. It's pretty, it's pretty genius. Yeah. The beginning I watched, I've watched a couple of his YouTube videos. The beginning of his videos, he always says, I think he says like, my name is Alex Ramosi. I'm never going to sell you anything. And then he gets going. Yep. That's wild. It's wild. You can take off by the way. I got to peace out. Yeah. Okay. So thank you guys. You bet. This is fun. Yeah. It was nice to meet Thanks you. for being the third wheel. That's awkward. The surprise <laughs> special. That's I'm just kidding, dude. Clickbait right there. The third special week. surprise. You're special guest. to my yang. I'll see how by many. popular demand. Peter Swenson. I'll and see how many. Exactly. I'll see how many other, adjectives I can other throw guy in there. at the office. Super awesome special yeah. engineer guest. Yeah. The face and the body. The face. Right. The face of the Genesis. All right. All right. Cheers. See ya. Good nice hang out, man. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Now, now, now the podcast really starts. Now, now we get going. Now we really get into it. Um, oh, he's still here. All right. Let's see. I scroll down to where I was actually going to start. Beautiful. So I was actually going to ask you about your cold plunge. Yes. 20, you're on day 21? 22. 22. What is your, are you just going to do it forever? What's your kind of? I might do it a lot longer than I thought I was going to do it originally. Yeah. So originally it was. I don't even know if I was committed for multiple days. I knew I had to go plunge the first day. I realized that I can get to that in a second, but um, 30 days is what I've said out loud a few times, but I am planning to do it until the pool starts to warm up and then get a cold plunge and just continue to do it every morning. So I've, I believe in it. I know the impact chemically, biologically, biochemically, you know, Tony Robbins has done a cold plunge every day for about 15 years. He, he likes to say, you know, he's he's blessed to have a cold plunge at each of his properties. He's got like five homes yeah, and subtle flex there. Subtle yeah. subtle flex, but Tony's great. And but but something that he said that I'd heard him say before, and he said it in relationship to cold plunges, and I'd heard him say it before, but because I had cold plunge on my mind, I had, I had a friend that did it for a month, and then I had uh, uh, Austin Rockwell, friend of mine, went to GCU. You, yeah, you probably know yeah. a lot of people know Austin. He did yep. thirty Murphs in a row, which I was actually crazy. Gonna, I was going to tell you about that. Yeah. So he and Austin came to jump in the pool with me a couple of days ago. But so Austin did these 30 MRFs, which is an intense workout for a month. My friend Alex did 30 cold plunges. So I, it was kind of on my mind. So I was primed for this statement that Tony made. I was ready to hear it, which is that there's, there's a saying when the student is ready, the teacher appears. It's like the wisdom that you're ready to embrace is going to be and seem a bit more obvious to you when it shows up. So Tony said something I'd heard him say before, and that is I do not negotiate with myself. And he said it in relationship to the cold plunge that I'd been thinking about. I'm like, oh crap. That's what that little voice in my head is doing. Every time there's a little banter and bickering, and, and I'm clear that, you know, I've, I've, uh, I'm, I'm aware of the voice in my head and the little brain and the big brain and the lizard brain, whatever you want to call it. I've been doing transformative work that can kind of isolate the existence of that, that voice in your head for a very long time. I've never really considered it negotiating, at least not the way that it hit me that day. Because what hit me that day, and it was like in an instant, is that's exactly what I was doing. And when I negotiate, I lose. Like more often than not, I lose. Even if even if the loss is that eventually I break the habit. It's like I've broken almost every good habit I've ever had in my life. Because at some point, I mean, I'll just say I've broken every habit I've ever had, right? There's very few things that we do habitually that, not every, but you get the point. But at some point in that negotiation, if you allow it, it'll talk you out of doing the right thing. 
So Tony said he doesn't negotiate. He's made it a, a, a rule in his life for decades now. It's why he gets into the cold plunge every morning. It's how he gets in the cold plunge every morning. And I'm like, wow. A, I need to get in the cold plunge. I need to go in the pool. And B, I need to recognize that negotiating with the voice in my head is the wrong strategy. Recognizing that the negotiation is happening and cutting it off immediately is the only strategy to beating it. Because that voice is much louder than, than your hope and intention for the future. That's just kind of how it works. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. One of my favorite phrases is action over preparation. So you can you know prepare, research, do as mm -hmm. much overthinking in your head as you want, but action and learning will always, always prevail over that. Yeah. Austin is crazy for doing 30. For those of you who don't know, Murph is what? A one mile it's run? A one mile run, 300 body squats, 200 push-ups, and 100 pull-ups, and then another mile run. And another mile run. And then... And that takes an hour-ish. I've done it a couple times. I've done it, I think, three or four times. It's... Never twice in a row, even. No. Not even twice in a month. I think I've done it... There's, there's a day every year. Yeah. There's like Memorial a Memorial Day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I've done it for the past two or three. My stepdad was in the Marines, so he All always right. does it. I usually do it. So, but 30 days in a row, that is another level of intense, intense. That's doing the hard thing. But yeah. And when you do the hard thing like that, I mean, for the rest of Austin's life, he will be able to look back and remember that he, he simply made himself go to work. Like what, what's going to be more intense? And Austin's knocked on doors, a lot of doors as well with, with me and it's like when you look at your resume, when he looks at his resume, and he's done a lot of incredible things, and he's a you know founder of, of Camp Love, and we'll, we'll probably be doing that full-time in short order, and an amazing Christian and leader. Yeah, he's absolutely. got a lot of bullet points on his resume, but when amongst those bullet points are massively hard things, you relate to yourself differently. It's, it's what Alex Hermosi talked about. It's a stack of evidence that you are who you say you are. 100%. Doing the hard thing. Mm -hmm. It's a big point of emphasis. So you do the cold, or you're doing the cold plunge every morning, right? Every morning right now, three minutes in the pool. Three minutes. So what is kind of like, it's a cliche question, but what is your like mo typical morning? Uh, like a morning routine? Yeah. So I am, I'll give myself some grace. I've had, I've been in phases of my life where I have a beautifully structured, consistent morning routine. I've been in phases where I don't. Right now, I've, I would say I'm in between. But with four kids and a business and life, and I care about my vitality, I typically get seven to eight hours of sleep a night, probably closer to seven right now. I'm up at 5.30. I don't jump in the pool right away. That's usually like at 6.30. Let's say 50 to 60% of the time I'm reading scripture. Um, I did a Bible in a year. A year ago, I'm halfway through. So I'm That's like, I'm, too, yeah. I'm, I'm halfway through my, my year journey a year in, but, yeah. but I'll get there. And, and then I journal in my... Um, whatever this thing is called. I forget this little fancy notebook yeah, thing. So I, I, love those. I journal in that, uh, meditate and pray. These are all probably about 50% hits right now. What I've discovered is, and Alex Hermosi talked about this too, is like, if you can only do something hundred percent of the time in order to do it, it's not that useful of a habit, right? If your morning routine has to be so impeccable that if you miss it, you feel like you just fell off the wagon, and you don't get back on for months or years then it's maybe not serving you. So I've, I've learned to give myself grace, and but my morning routine is, is typically 45 minutes in, uh, in, in scripture, in silence, in, in scribing or journaling, and, and time with my wife before the kids wake up. Yeah, we can pivot a little bit to the scripture stuff. I asked a couple people that worked for you for some questions to ask you every single time. They said, 
faith, Christianity, ask them about that. So tell me kind of your story with Christianity and faith and how that all came to be. Yeah. So in 2008, I moved to Arizona. And shortly, I, and I grew up in a, a Christian home. I attended a, a, a small Lutheran church in a little town in Minnesota where I grew up. It, you know, smelt like an old church and felt like an old church. And it was a very structured experience. And I, I didn't feel like now worshiping at a non-denominational church. Like I feel a very living relationship with God now in Christ that I, that I don't, I didn't, I don't, I don't remember having that growing up, but I knew I, I was connected. In college, I got very disconnected. So I went to a Catholic school. I wasn't Catholic, so I, I stopped attending traditionally, you know, regularly. And when I moved to Arizona, I remember watching a documentary called Zeitgeist, which which punched holes in like 9/11 and the Federal Reserve and a bunch of things that I believe are are you know bogus in general, flawed. flawed. Yeah. And then it also punched a bunch of holes in Christianity. And I I kind of just let's say threw the baby out with the bathwater. I I asked, I was exposed to some really tough questions, some really tough, I would assume realities, factual things, and, and that conflicted with my experience of Christianity or, or God or religion in general. And I made a decision that it was man-made. It must be man-made. This one documentary must be basically the entire truth. And and I stayed in a place of, of deep skepticism for religion in general, every organized religion. I, I never was an atheist, but I would have said, Look, I, I I believe I can't explain the universe without God. So God, I get, is real. And I've experienced moments of divinity and the presence of God that I can't deny. So I believe in God. But religion, that's just mankind's best attempts to explain a relationship with God and have society not fall apart. That was like my smart answer. And a more cynical way, and I don't think I ever said this out loud, but I, 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 I would have told you candidly that I was too smart to be Christian. Like I can't, I'm not going to fall for it. I was, I've seen behind the curtain and it doesn't make sense. And there was a longing. I mean, when, when I fell out of faith, like there was a longing many, many times in the next 13 years when I was, I called myself omnism, which is like believing that every, many religions pointed to God. And, and I, I still could be, you know, I could still be convinced that like, that some other religions do point towards God, but it's not the same thing as being saved. Juries, so I don't know about all that yet, but I'm also okay with not knowing now. And where I wandered for a long time was this place of not knowing, and I thought it was all basically the same thing, but I never had an experience of closeness with God in that time. I, mean, I did yoga, so I, sorry, I should say I experienced moments of spiritual uh, groundedness and love, but never the same thing as what I remembered in a few of the worship services that I went to when I sold books my first year and like I had a rough week and I went there and I just felt the presence of like love and forgiveness and and growing up I had a few moments too and I just never felt that again and I saw other people who had it and it especially got more apparent when I started working with students at GCU and there, there were some strong Christians in in the circle but but some of those guys including my brother at, at, you know after Jake found his faith were like a little obnoxious about it so I was more resistant to hearing anything from them and working with students at GCU is a big and it's not a small part of my journey because I saw these like young grounded on fire for life and business and Christ humans I'm like that's I wish I could have that again and, then, and I noticed of course other leaders you know 
renowned leaders, world, world leaders. Like there's just a ton of, maybe not world leaders as much, but there are a lot of leaders in business and in life that are grounded. In fact, most of them have a strong spiritual uh, relationship or practice. So at some point, I realized that there's far more high-end effective leaders that have a grounded spiritual practice than don't. So that would be something I should look into if I want to be of right. maximum influence right. in my life. And it started it, as just, I'm like, this is the logical decision. Yeah, it's like clearly there's something here that I don't have that everybody else has that that every one of them says they wouldn't go without. And most of them are referencing Christianity. So maybe I should consider like, am I being a bit, you know, am I being a bit uh, stuck up about this? And, and then there was, I remember a very specific realization that I had, and I don't remember who helped me to see it. And maybe I read it or maybe I just saw it. That my set of beliefs, I could have written it on the table here. Like, here's everything I believe is real and not real. And I would have written it down and it would have filled a book if I could have written it all down. And at the end, it would have been what I realized is the religion of Peter. And it would have been just as full of opinions and beliefs as anybody else's position on religion, including the billions of Christians that have walked on the planet and exist today. And I'm like, well, what's the likelihood that my best attempt to understand or or, or guess what religion really is or, or what the nature of God really is, is better than Christianity. It's very low chance. So then I, so the next phase is, well, maybe I should learn a little bit more because there's got to be some smart people who are, I knew there were smart people who were Christian. And then I finally asked the next question is like, why? Why and how could smart people who were intelligent enough to question it with good hard answers, how could they come back to a place of faith and belief? That was like the opening moment for me. And I read, so the order of my transformation at this point happened pretty quick. I read More Than a Carpenter, which is a short book. Um, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's a short uh, apologetics book that uh, one of our current employees and former employees and friends, Peter Klein, gave me. And that I got exposed to, you know, the the nature of all the biblical historical documents and like just the general apologetics that there are there's more. I'm not going to get the words right, but like there's, there is more, um, records of the Bible. It's like 20,000 or 30,000 or the, yeah. you know, the numbers, 6,000, uh, yeah. it's something crazy. Yeah, it is. There, there are more accounts of the Bible than any other, than book. any other book in history. Absolutely. Right. So there's anyways, they pile on all this factual historical evidence for the, for that, that Christ lived. And then for the first time in my life, I read the, the, the only three choices you have in accepting if if Christ lived, one of three things had to be true. And this is like, it got to me psychologically, philosophically. I'm like, okay, you do have to choose. He was either a lunatic saying crazy things and, and a crazy human saying crazy things, or he was a liar saying things that are intentionally false, or he was the Lord and the Son of God. And there is no fourth option. There is no version where he's just a really good guy because all of these documents all corroborate that he's saying the same things. And and at that point, I'm like, oh, I don't get to just say that he's a good guy pointing to towards God. He's either crazy or he's a liar or he is God. And those are the only three options. So that's when I'm like, holy crap. How, how Now, how do I get further? Because I still wasn't further. Um, I'm sorry if this is long-winded, but the next part keep, of my journey, going. Jake talked about Texas. We were in Texas that summer, living with college students again, which was kind of a blast, but I also have four kids at home. So that's, and I'm still knocking on doors and I can handle all that. But, but what I was, we had two years of decline and we, we were going to go through a, like starting from the ground zero basically. And I realized 
like the thing that I had been measuring success against, this idea of perpetual growth in business specifically, or perpetual growth in the influence of young leaders. It wasn't just money. Like I wanted to, lead, to to make an impact and have an impact. And I still do, but I, there it was like my entire reason for existence. And it was kind of dissolving. Everything that I built was dissolving. Not that I couldn't have built it again, but I, I'm like, if, it, if this could dissolve as easily as it has and it happens again, like what? And I, I got, I went to church service on a Sunday because I was again, I'm kind of experimenting and learning. Definitely in the place where I couldn't believe, but I wanted to. There was an altar call that day. As usual for over a decade, I felt compelled. You know, it turns out that's the Holy Spirit just kind of whispering to you. Like, I, I'm like, man, is that the, if I just get in the water, then will I believe that, you know, but I never thought I could. So I didn't go again, but I was taking a shower later that day, cold shower actually in Texas. So it wasn't that cold in the summer, but taking a cold shower, jamming out some meditative music. And I just got, I was just overcome with emotion, overcome with, um, with a desire to let go of control. And so I got on my knees naked in the shower, hands up. <laughs> and I said something that I thought was silly, but I'm like, this is what you're supposed to say. I'm like, all right, I surrender. I give up God. You know, you can have me, whatever that means. I don't know how to believe, but I'm ready to learn. And, uh, and then nothing happened, right? It wasn't angels and trumpets, nothing like, but if my journey if it was 13 years to like get on the field and get to the 50 yard line, like that was me crossing over that. That's when I took one step towards like faith. That's when I and it for me, it was surrender. I always assumed you'd have to believe and then surrender. You're like, Oh, I'm a believer. I surrender my life to you. God, for me, it was the opposite. And I think for a lot of people it is, I, I think there's a lot of man. And if I could go back and, and help my college self to understand how much peace I would lose by not surrendering, um, to God. And, and, you know, I, so after that, so remember, I, I still don't believe in all of the stuff, but I, I'm done trying to be right about it. Then I read C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, and he obliterated the, the, the roadblocks I had in my mind. And it's a beautiful book. And I can't believe I hadn't read it before. And I, I actually read it on the way up to speak at camp love and i spoke on ministry in the marketplace even though i was like not even really a christian but i, I didn't know that it mattered and on the way up there it's a blizzard and i'm listening like i'll just never forget that drive is a blizzard it was crazy and and c.s lewis is like unpacking this guy who's been in the grave for years right he is unpacking and demolishing the barriers i had to faith and, and he went from explaining you know is there a good and an evil is there a right and a wrong to if there is, given that there is, who is it that makes that? And okay, then if it's a God that makes that, is it one God or many gods? And then, okay, if it's one God, what's the nature of that God? And then what's the nature of our relation to that God? And then how would you have a permanent uh, relationship with God and and gets to this justification, philosophical justification for the existence of Christ as access to relationship with God? Like blew my mind. I came down from that mountain. I was in, like I was in. And I told my wife, like I read this book on the way down. I'm like, we're on this journey together. She was kind of mad at me, like sincerely frustrated because I had uh, pulled her away. I, it was me saying, hey, let's, like we can't believe all this stuff. And I, it, what? yeah, that's kind of the truth. Like we both wandered for 13 years. And then she, and then she's like, and you want to be back in? And now you're, and now you're in? Now you're in the, now you're like on the one yard line. And I don't, I don't even know what I believe. And now like, 
So she was a little frustrated. I came down from that mountain and I was a different, I was different. Um, and she, I got home from work a few days later and, and she said, um, she said, so I read mere Christianity. It's really, it's a really good book. I'm like, I know it's really good. She's like, no, it's like, it's a really good book. I got on my knees and gave my life to Christ today. Awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And I would have thought that this is the stupidest conversation to have a decade ago or five years ago. But I like I man, I was so concerned about being right that I, you know, I didn't ask myself a very important question, which is like, what if I'm wrong? And what am I missing? Because there have been so many other people that are smarter than me that have that have spent their entire lives in the question and the search for God and came to the same conclusion. Like, do I want to spend my entire life and realize at the end that I missed one of the most beautiful parts of it? So, so now I get to experience that and learn about it and I'm growing in my faith all the time and I feel like I'm surrendering to God and to Christ on a daily basis when I remember to. Uh, and it's been amazing the grace that I felt, the, forg the forgiveness that I felt that I've been able to give myself. I I'd say that's a surprising part for me out of many, many surprises. Like I've discovered the ability to forgive myself because I experience forgiveness from God um, and I'm and I as, as silly as I think I would have thought that sounded a decade ago I'm just I'm, I'm grateful that it feels true yeah. and for all the questions I don't have answered you know I, I recognized there is no version of faith that is certain meaning you could claim certainty you could feel certain but faith the definition of faith is the absence of certainty, Absolutely. right? It requires taking a leap. And so every person who's ever walked on the planet, except for Christ, you know, has had to make that leap. Even Christ had to make that leap, I, I think, on the cross to some extent. And uh, so why wouldn't we have to? Exactly. I love hearing uh, stories. I grew up Christian. I was born Christian. I've never not kind of straight away. Yeah, I've never kind of strayed away from that. I love hearing people's stories about that. But uh, it's funny. The even, I mean, kindergarten through 12th grade, Christian school, no matter how much you know, no matter how much education you have, you still have to take a leap and relinquish control. Yeah. That's one of the hardest things for people to do is give up control because, you know, kind of a founding principle that God had when he created us was to give us control, mm -hmm. free will. But he asked us to give that up and give it back to him. Mm -hmm. it's wild yeah and there's something about god and water uh a good friend of mine back home he was on a mission trip uh, a couple years ago and they were singing this i forgot what the song is called but it goes holy spirit you're welcome here come flood this place mm -hmm. and fill the atmosphere as they were singing that song it was this little church in some third world country and as they were singing that song all the water pipes in the building burst and the room started physically flood with water. Just some of those moments like that, that yeah. uh, make you realize that there's a little, you know, something to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, we've had, we've, yeah, there's, I've had not to get into, it, but I've had a handful of like very specific. I can, I just can't explain some, some of the things that happen. And you know, that type of stuff is always around us. We just don't recognize it. Yeah, I, I, so I was I was telling um, 
I was talking to my wife this morning. We did a little walking date around around the neighborhood behind us here at the office. But we were talking about the fact that so many people wait for divine intervention. Like you wait for it, you pray for it. You know, it, we we it was I think the topic of if somebody gets sick, it's like why did God want that to happen? Well, God doesn't want that to happen, and we live in a world of there's physical reality, right? And it's like there's there's other examples of of things where you you want people you almost want God to like reach out and stop you like or you believe that God will stop you before it gets too far like why wouldn't he where where was he when I needed him like he was like that little voice in your head for your entire life like beckoning you to get into a relationship or advising you or or just allowing you to have a sense of what is a more wise more uh, valuable decision like that it, like that's God nudging you he whispers to us all the time but we're waiting for him to shout. Like that's not how it works. Yeah. But yeah. I was, you know, I didn't have my, I didn't have the whisper in tune for a very long you gotta time. You got to turn it up. Yeah. You got you to turn, turn it up. up. You got to turn it up. So, um, Christianity obviously plays a really big role in your life. How kind of does that impact your professional life and your, you know, business? Well, certainly aligns. I mean, our value system has to be aligned, which it is. And, you know, I don't, I don't think Bible bashing or, or, you know, pushing, I, I don't think that my, you know, I think we all go through what we go through in life for a reason, for a purpose. I, I don't think that it happens for a reason, but I think we can find reason in everything that happens. I think that's one of the gifts of being human and my wandering for 13 years and my repulsion of, of religion for a long time. I mean, I'm very aware of, of the, that state. And I think there's a lot of people more now than probably ever before in the history of America. People are in that place of, of questioning and doubting and probably believing there's something, but we've gotten too smart for our own, like too smart for our own good. And that concept of surrender and, and a, um, like, I guess my point is I just want to model what that looks like as a business. I want to model what that looks like as a leader. I want to be unafraid to share where it comes from and what it's about and and love people no matter where they're at in their journey but if i can help anybody uh, avoid 13 years of wandering like i did or close that gap just a little bit quicker i mean i'd love to yeah absolutely i hear a lot um from people mostly people that aren't christians uh or you know involved in religion in some way that they feel like christianity and capitalism should not mix because they feel like you know you're always taking advantage of somebody or trying to get the edge on somebody but i feel like really they go together more than they contradict i feel like if you bring christian you know worldviews and values into your business it helps extremely because you care for people you want what's best for people two things on this one i read a pretty compelling article a year or two ago that said that christ would have been a bit more socialist than capitalist. I kind of buy that. He also wasn't flawed, so he could probably do it the right way, yeah. right? If anybody could, but human he could do anything are, he wanted, right? Yeah. yeah, it's like he could do it the right way, but everybody else involved wouldn't. That's the problem with socialism is is the humans that are involved in running it. Right. The other thing I would say is, you know, America, it's so I went to Africa on a mission trip recently to West Africa and to Togo, French speaking, voodoo worshiping, the birthplace of voodoo was was Benin and Togo right there. And 
when you go to a, a place that is not founded on Judeo-Christian values and you see a worldview that is kind of upside down in in many ways from from us here, not that people weren't happy, but it's just is very different in terms of what mattered, what mattered most, their concept of risk, love, family, sacrifice. They're just different. America was founded on Judeo-Christian values. I mean, if if there's ever been a country or a society more aligned to, you know, I think the the way in which the Bible has taught us to operate as a society, it's America. And America has created more opportunity and freedom and wealth in the world than any other country previously. And and we have the capacity. Now, it has to be of free will. That's capitalism, right? It's not forced. It's, it's of free will. But I think we need more Christianity and capitalism, more real Christianity and capitalism. I mean, I think that's the answer. I, I think there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians that operate in ways that are not Christian. I've I've met a tremendous, I'm not like in the door-to-door space. There are a lot of people that I that I that I know and, and people that I know of through third party that cross lines that should never be crossed and go to church on Sunday. Like it's just too acceptable. I think we, we it's like we're getting caught up in pop culture and society and the and and the physical things and things of the flesh and the money and the cars and the house it's okay to have nice things but people pursue that they 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 worship that and then they do things that are very much not christian so i yeah i guess i guess if you found a strong christian leader more often than not i think they're doing a lot more good yeah i agree 100 percent. more christianity is never going to be a bad thing. i've n- I, I mean it sounds kind of like I just became a Christian, got on the bandwagon, and maybe some of that's true. I'm not. I'm not like. I'm. There's some. I'm sure some deep subconscious stuff, and now I want to like validate my belief. And but, man, if we are not in a in a spiritual war right now, in a way that we never have been, as at least that we haven't recognized for for ages. I mean, we're like literally people dressing up as the devil, and you've got you know child stuff, and just the sexualization of the culture and women, and even men now, and men that call themselves women. Like, there's just. There's a lot going on. It's never sounded more like Sodom and Gomorrah than than it does right now. And like, I don't know what that means, but I know that that faith can answer a lot of it. And I am glad that I'm secure in my faith now because I don't have I don't question what side of that I'm on. And and I love everybody, even the ones that are in the middle of the mess. But you know, we need more strong Christians and and specifically more strong Christian leaders. Not just we don't need more governors like yes there's some freedoms that you know DeSantis has done well and everybody's kind of a fan of him right now but we need community lead we need stronger leaders at every level of every community and ideally yeah. with strong faith because if everybody's aligned in faith and values like things are going to work out yeah absolutely put me on a soapbox I'll rant do it keep it going <laughs> no I I agree 100% uh a good phrase uh that I like to keep in mind is love them anyway yeah it doesn't matter who somebody is or what they're going through you know uh everybody's going through stuff, you know, sometimes people react in a certain way to something, some sort of stimulus that they're receiving. Um, but it doesn't matter. Love them anyway. They'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever they're supposed to supposed to do, they'll do it. Um, and yeah, back to like this country, like I feel very blessed. And anybody that lives in America should be extremely blessed that we live in a country that says in God, we trust on our currency, right? It's for now, <laughs> for now, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that stays for the near future. But yeah, I mean, if that's not Christianity and capitalism right yeah. there, what else is? It's just not about, I'll, I'll fit, well, to put a bow tie on at least my my long monologue on faith, yeah. something that my, my pastor I've become quick, close friends with 
says a lot. He's like, we don't need, we don't need to go spend a day at church. You don't need, like, you don't need to go hear the pastor preach or, or share the message. Like, yeah. what we need is a moment in the presence of God. We don't need religion. Religion in general, you know, Jesus was anti-religion in many, many ways. Like, we are just yearning for a real relationship with God. And the access to eternal relationship with God is through Christ. So it's like you keep it very simple. Absolutely. One, that same friend that went on the mission trip, he's very anti, I don't know, he's very anti-denominational. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't, he doesn't like to identify with a denomination. Mm-hmm. He's like, there's no point. Yeah. There's no point in having, there's no point in saying, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist, I still am. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no point in saying you're a Seventh-day Adventist. You know, that might have some differences to somebody else or whatever your denomination you identify with, but we all love Jesus, right? It's yeah. it's all the same. Um, so I I kind of fit into that mold a little bit too. It was interesting for me to fit, I said I was dumb, I got one more thing. It was very interesting for me to discover why I would love Jesus. Like, that it's not out of a sense of obligation it's out of a a sense of appreciation yeah yeah and that's something i went through too is uh growing up in that christian school it was like i mean i had a, i was in a bible class every day for 13 years right i had a religion class for an hour mm-hmm. a day but for a while it was kind of like an obligation to just be like all right this is what we do we go to church we pray we do all this we pray before we eat all these things it, it becomes routine and you kind of lose appreciation for it. And I did mm-hmm. lost appreciation for it. Um, but you know, when you get older, you kind of figure out how to re appreciate those things. And yeah, church going to church, it pales in comparison to just having a relationship and yeah. being able to interact with Jesus in whatever way, whatever way you can. The way that I did that was I did it through music. I liked to sing and yeah. you know, I played guitar and stuff for church all the time. That was kind of how I had my, come to Jesus moments yeah. was, you know, doing stuff like that. Um, to wrap up, we can f- go back to some entrepreneurial stuff. Um, let's see a couple habits that you think over the years could be 10 years ago, could be now a couple habits that you think have helped you become a su- successful entrepreneur. Reading education, Re- like reading, like just, um, I'll expand it. So reading is uniquely good, but reading, uh, audiobooks, podcasts. Uh, there is a, a term called an autodidact, which is a self-led learner. So I, I somehow became an autodidact, right? The, the vision I had of myself, of my future self, demanded that I become a lot more than who I was. And through experiences, is you'll, you'll learn, but you're going to learn slow. You read and you discover the wisdom that other people have to offer, and you can transform yourself fairly rapidly. And so like learning and, and understanding, because I did this very poorly in high school and college, which is why OCHEM was a mess. I did not, I was not there to learn. I was there to pass. In high school, I didn't work super hard, but I still did well. In college, I didn't work super hard. That didn't go as well, but it was, you know, I still got through no problem. You get to the real world and, and it's not how that works when you're in the game of entrepreneurship, sales or leadership. So I discovered the power of learning and developing myself through the wisdom of others. Yeah, that's the like, I'll just leave it. That's the only habit that really if you do that, every other habit starts to show up. It's like if you expose yourself to the these tidbits of wisdom, at some point, you have to start taking action. Yeah. What is book and podcast number one for business entrepreneurship? 
Oh man, one of um, each. Okay, if you had to pick. <sighs> so for entrepreneurship, sure. Or you can do one of each. One for business yeah. in general. One for entrepreneurship. Man, I have. Here's the thing that I I I wish I always had a super quick answer. My brain, and I give it some grace, doesn't. But I let Go me ahead. look at my Audible, Go and ahead. I will find uh, one that I love. I'll tell you the podcast, but th th this one's kind of easy. I, one of there's two people that I've had a, a deep influence on my development in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Specifically, like uh, one is Patrick Bet David. He uh, runs Valuetainment. He yep. built a twenty thousand agent life insurance company. I do coaching with him. Uh, he DM'd me this morning back. So like we have a slight affiliation and I and so but I go to his events and like I've learned a ton about entrepreneurship from Pat and I've been closely following him. I've gone to all of his live events for the last four years now. I was doing that before we launched Genesis. It's one of the reasons I was able to is because I had spent two years. Long story for another day. Short version is I thought I was going to build a tech company four years ago. I, I blew $250,000 of savings. I, I found Patrick Bed David. I learned what it meant to be a CEO. You know, by the end of my learning, I realized I was an awful CEO and I'd blown a quarter million dollars, but I was ready for the next thing, which became Genesis. But Pat has been a huge influence. And then Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins is a special human being who's got access to like psychological, philosophical, and tactical strategies to help enhance your life and make a difference for others that just don't exist anywhere else. Absolutely. His stuff is amazing. So Patrick Bed David, Tony Robbins, those are the people. Um, in terms of the books, uh, I mean, I've read a ton, but uh, I don't know that I could give you. I, I probably couldn't honestly tell you one that I've read that I that I love more than others. But yeah. I've hundred million dollar offers was awesome. That's more so about marketing. That was Alex mm -hmm. Ramosi. Yep. The I mean, I've I've probably taken down fifty audibles in the last couple of years. I could name some names, but sure, just rattle a few off. Uh, so I'll, I'll actually go to leadership. So John Maxwell. Five levels of leadership or developing the leader within you. I'll, I'll skip the entrepreneurial ones and I'll and I'll say the leadership because that's that's going to help you in entrepreneurism. Absolutely. And it's going to make a difference in every part of life. Yeah. So one of the books any of our leaders read is Developing the Leader Within You by John Maxwell. And they came out with a 2.0 version of that a few years ago. Awesome. And that that is um, one of the things I discovered is almost is every principle on leadership that I've ever read. It's better to assume that it's true. And yeah. treat it as if it's true. It's like a law of gravity. Yeah. And if you don't, you will you will learn otherwise at some point. For sure. And then uh, what's kind of you your biggest piece of advice for entrepreneurs? Somebody that wants to be an entrepreneur, start companies. What is the biggest piece of advice for somebody that wants to do that? I'll, I'll go with what I've just said. It's learn. It's read more and learn more. Awesome. Yeah, because you can get like you can gain so much wisdom if you make that your job. Like yeah. don't don't do what I did and say, oh, I have a great business idea. I know it's going to work and forego a whole bunch of advice and pour yourself your time or your money, whatever it is, without without doing the work to understand what you're getting into. Yeah. And I'm not saying don't like sometimes you want to take action right away, but, you know, I've definitely done it the wrong way, too. Yeah. So that's all I got. Sweet. Thanks for coming, man. This you got fun. it. It was very fun. What are we at? Long, Wrap. A little over an hour. Hour. Beautiful. Good stuff. That's the longest one so far, I think. Cool. I appreciate you. You too. Yeah.